This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Buck Sexton Show. We are live broadcasting out of Washington in the District of Columbia, your nation's capital, here on Thursday, the 18th of July, 2019. We've got a great show for you today, so don't go absolutely anywhere. We've got um, Terry Schilling from the American Principles Project. He'll be joining us, Jules Gomez, um, who I had the great honor of listening to speak at a, at a conference on uh, national conservatism uh, this week, making nationalism uh, great again. From Open the Books, Adam Andrzejewski to talk about their latest, uh, their latest reports and things that they're figuring out. Um, Open the Books is, by the way, one of my favorite organizations in this country. Massive, massive transparency efforts going into making sure that every cent and every dime that you guys give in in your taxes um, is not being wasted. And of course, we know so much of it is being wasted. That's why I always love to have Adam on. And I'll be down at the border... Uh, in El Paso next week, and I've got two people, Brian Colfage and Chris Kobach, who are going to be there with me, joining us on the show, in case you don't recognize my voice by now. My name is Raheem Kassam. I'm the editor-in-chief of humanevents.com. That was Reagan's favorite magazine back in the day, the oldest conservative magazine in the United States of America. Um, And I have the great honor of sometimes guest hosting for the great Buck Sexton, who is on the road at the moment. And more guests over the course of the show today as well. The most important guest as far as I am ever concerned, because I love radio as a medium. It's probably my favorite one. People say I have a face (laughs) for radio, as well as the voice, as well as the dulcet tones. Um, But I love when you guys call in. So here's the number. Are you ready? 844-900-2825. That's 844-900-BUCK. If you want to have a conversation with me, there is lots to talk about, is there not? Especially over the last 24, 48 hours to do with a certain squad. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have obviously had your head buried in the sand all day long, perhaps all week long. For those who do know what I'm talking about, well, I'm sure we can agree that there are some difficult things that America is going to have to deal with in terms of uh, uh, an internal conversation about who these representatives are, how they should best be dealt with, and indeed what came out at the Trump rally last night in, uh, what was one in, it was in one of the Carolinas, North Carolina, um, last night. I, I think first, let's, let's remind ourselves for a second, if you don't mind, ladies and gentlemen, of just who uh, Elan Omar is. Elan Omar, this, this, congresswoman who has told President Trump and his supporters today that she is in the people's house and that they are going to have to deal. I don't know what she meant by deal, deal with it, do a deal. I don't know. It was unclear. But Ilan Omar's record on any number of issues is not just questionable. It's downright nefarious. From things to do with anti-Semitism to things to do with how she's in the country in the first place. And something I keep banging on about 
in my writing and whenever I'm on anybody else's show, I have to talk about this, about Ilan Omar, is that her parents and her left Somalia in the early 90s as quote-unquote refugees. They went to Kenya and then they found their way to the United States. But what kind of refugees were they precisely? Because you see, Ilan Omar's family worked for the revolutionary socialist Islamist government of Somalia. And they only left the country when the leader, Said Bar, was deposed. Yeah, they were about as much as refugees as Colonel Gaddafi's kids were, to my mind. But nobody ever talks about that. Nobody ever talks about what exactly happened in the 90s in Somalia and how people like Ilan Omar found their way to the United States to spread revolutionary socialism here. And all the things that come with fundamentalist interpretations of the Quran, as Barr increasingly did towards the end of his term. But let's remind ourselves for a second of just who Ilan Omar is. Let's play clip eight, Mr. Producer. When I was in college, I took uh, a terrorism class. Every time the, the, the professor said Al-Qaeda, he sort of like his shoulders yeah. went up and, you know, yeah, he's in command like, here. Al-Qaeda, you know, hospital. You don't say America with an yeah. intensity. You yeah. don't say England with yeah. an intensity. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't say um, the army with an intensity. Care was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. We need to abolish ICE Woo! and end all inhumane deportation and concession programs. We need to fight back against the criminalization of immigrants and those crossing the border. Extraordinary stuff when you, when you think about it, when you hear it all put close together. You cannot believe that somebody would have elected this person a representative in the United States. Firstly, let me make something very, very clear. Maybe she doesn't say England with an intensity, but I certainly say England with an intensity. Maybe she doesn't say America with an intensity, but I certainly say America with an intensity. I'm sure you do too. And maybe she doesn't say the army with an intensity, but we say it, don't we, ladies and gentlemen, with both an intensity and a deference and gratitude. And there is something that Ilan Omar does not have. She does not have gratitude for the nation that took her and her family in despite their backgrounds and allowed them to live the American dream, allowed them to pursue happiness, allowed them. Out of its very nature, America is perhaps the most charitable country in the world, in human history actually, probably. When you look at how many immigrants America lets in every year, when you look at what it's based on, what the country has at its core, when you look at the average American, and I say this as somebody who came from somewhere else, as you can probably hear from my accent, but to see the ordinary American in their charitable giving, in the work in their community, all of these things extend upwards to government. But charity is not limitless. We can't give more than we have. We can't expect to bleed the nation dry to accommodate the rest of the world and their socialist revolutionary refugees. No, charity has its limits.
And I fear those limits were reached over the course of the last couple of weeks. I think we are living that moment. I think the squad of Presley and Cortez and Omar and Taleb are exhausting and intentionally exhausting America's charitability. I think they are seeking to bring the worst out in people and I do think we saw the worst or at least some of the worst at last night's rally. Mr. Producer, can we play clip number two, please? Obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic That's the crowd in North Carolina chanting, send her back. The cause of great consternation amongst CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post and the chattering classes here on the streets of Washington, D.C. Today, I've even had some ex-girlfriends texting me saying, how could you defend President Trump and his crowd after what they said last night? Well, it's not about defense. It's about understanding. It's about understanding that people will reach their limits. When charity is, is, is extended so far and so courteously and it's thrown back in people's faces, people will naturally reach their limits. But there's another thing to this as well. I don't necessarily think that Omar should be sent back to a place that she left when she was a child. But I also don't think that Ilan Omar should be a member of Congress. I think she has shown herself to be a danger to the United States, a danger to the United States Constitution. And nobody called it racist or xenophobic or bigoted or any of those catchy words when in 2011 there was a White House petition of about 110,000 people who signed it, by the way, to deport Piers Morgan, one of my fellow countrymen. Now listen, we all want to deport Piers Morgan. Britain wants to deport Piers Morgan. We thought we had got rid of him to you in 2011. Sadly, we have him back now. But nobody called that racist. Nobody called it racist when Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat, said that he wanted to investigate whether Dr. Sebastian Gorka, when he was a member of the Trump administration, should be sent back. But, but it's selective application of these terms, selective application of this outrage by CNN and all the others. By the way, CNN, the same CNN that puts, puts white nationalist Richard Spencer on the air. CNN contributor Richard Spencer, I'm going to start calling him, by the way. These are the things that we're grappling with today. These are the things that we have to understand. Forget whether or not it was presidential for Trump to tweet what he did a couple of days ago saying she should go back. Forget it. That's not the conversation we need to be having. We need to be having the conversation of why certain people are, A, in the country in the first place if they don't like it, B, in the country if they don't intend to constructively contribute if they're only interested in destruction as the case seems to be and see what on earth we're doing with a democratic party that is led by revolutionary socialistic extremists and how we deal with that and those are the conversations that we're going to have today on this show you're not going to want to miss out i want you guys to call in and have your say the number again is 844-900-2825 844-900-BUCK this is the buck sexton show i am raheem kassam we're going to be right back after this break 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Buck Sexton Show. You probably figured it out by now. I'm not Buck Sexton. My name's Raheem Kassam. I'm the editor-in-chief of humanevents.com. Good friend of Buck Sexton. Although I, I don't profess to speak for Buck. He's my good friend. Maybe maybe he doesn't put me up there at all. Who knows? I would be sad if that was the case, though. Um, I'm keen to hear from you guys over the course of this show. Remember, the phone lines are open. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I'm also a big advocate. Again, I love radio. I'm going to keep saying it because I don't get to do enough of it anymore. I used to do it every single day um, over at another network um, and and no longer get to do it. So I, I, I jump at the opportunity to do it and I jump at the opportunity to bring on great guests as well as great callers. And one of the great guests that we have on right now um, is my good friend Terry Schilling. Terry is the executive director at the American Principles Project. Terry, do I have you? I'm here, Raheem. It's so great to hear your voice again. Yes, you're there, but do I have you, Terry? You have my full, (laughs) undivided attention. Fine. Well, (laughs) Terry, look... Um, I went on a bit of a tear about Ilan Omar. I'm going to be talking about that over the course of the show. Um, but there's so much that happens uh, nowadays. It feels like it's just uh, increasing and increasing in terms of what's going on in the news cycle every day. But one of them that I didn't want to miss was something you guys have um, have been active on and around in the last couple of uh, days, which is Planned Parenthood's um, chief executive, I think, is 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 yep, she was CEO, president Dr. Liana Wen uh was was effectively fired terminated if you will um and yeah she was terminated at 8 months into her wow. uh presidency and uh it's interesting aborted. Just, she was aborted yeah she was aborted uh about 8 months in um which is which is something that she actually supports and advocates for um, so yep. she shouldn't really have any problems. But your your colleague Frank Cannon at the American Principles Project has written an article. It just so happens to be up on humanevents.com as well. So you know, nice, nice dovetailing um, of the matters here. Um, called Planned Parenthood's Liana Wen wasn't woke enough, and nor are you. Tell us what Frank was talking about in his article and tell us exactly what you guys think, because you guys are kind of one of the biggest voices um, in the country in terms of in terms of social conservatism, in terms of um, opposing this 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 broad uh, pro-abortion narrative. I mean, you guys are the ones getting the real work done. So give us give us the skinny on this. Yeah. So basically, our argument uh and this came out in, in, in Wen's public statements and even uh, from the board of Planned Parenthood. The main reason she was terminated at eight months uh, prior to gestation is um, because she wasn't woke enough. She did not want Planned Parenthood to, to go crazy down this uh, gender uh, theory, this, this radical gender ideology stuff that's happening which basically says that uh, men who identify as women are women and that they should be treated equally with women. And Leanna Wynn did not want to turn Planned Parenthood into an organization that performed uh, uh, pap smears on males, um, possibly because they, uh, they can't do that on a male. Um, but look, <laughs> Could uh, be. The, the, the concerning thing for us and why everyone else should be concerned is that the this is a pattern for the left. They are growing ever more radical day by day. 
And they are now acquiring strict allegiance, not just to the issue set that your organization focuses on, like Planned Parenthood and abortion. Mm. And let's be clear, Dr. Leanna Wen, who's a doctor, by the way, supports killing babies even after they're born. I mean, she supports the fantasy, totally locks up with them. But because she doesn't think that biological men who identify as women should be eligible for mammogram referrals and pap smear referrals at Planned Parenthood, she was ousted. And the left is going to continue to grow more and more radical every day until they start suffering some real electoral losses. And I think we have that coming right up the pike with the, the re-election of President Trump. Is that true? Um, or did this last set of midterms embolden them to move further to the left? And do these people on the stage at the Democrat um, debates encourage them to move further to the left? And does where the money's coming from encourage them to move further to the left? I mean, I don't see a great reorientation on the political left anytime soon. I mean, look at the Labour Party in the United Kingdom. That's where this Democrat Party is going at the moment. Hardline, revolutionary, Marxist, anti-Semitic, and on social issues, mental. Uh, you know, I, that's my theory. I think that, um, you know, when you win or lose, it affects, uh, it, it requires you to readjust in some way or the other. Uh, obviously, Democrats won in 2018, uh, and it has definitely pushed them further to the left. But I think that you're on to something um, with how, uh, radical their their bases. And let's be clear about who the base of the Democratic Party is. It's not your everyday voters like the Republicans have. It's, right. it's not your Joe Schmo in Detroit, Michigan. Right. This is, their base is the elite. It's yeah. the elite donor class. It's yeah. the elite corporate class. It's yeah. the elite academia class. It's, 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 Man, it's Manhattan, it's San Francisco, it's Los Angeles. Unfortunately, to some extent, it's Austin, Texas. Um, but but it's, it's, it's all that. Um, Terry, we've got about 20 seconds left. Just tell the audience where they can find out more about you guys, the American Principles Project, and, uh, and give yourselves a good plug. It's AmericanPrinciplesProject.com, and I urge everyone to check it out. We're producing a new report in the next few weeks that talks about how important the family is, not just to the future of the century, but to the future of the Republican Party and the conservative movement. Love it. Thank you, Terry Schilling, AmericanPrinciplesProject.com. This is the Buck Sexton Show. We'll be right back. Call us at 888-455-3600. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck today. And as, always say, uh, as I always say when, uh, when Buck steps out of the studio, he says, have you got it? Have you got it? I said, I've got it here, Buck. Like, just, get, you know, leave it to me. We're all good. You go off on your jollies and your jaunts. Raheem's got the Freedom Hut today. And the phone lines are open because we are broadcasting live out of Washington, D.C. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK is the number here. And we've got some fantastic, I mean, the best. The, the best. I only, take, I only have the best guests. I know the best people. Um, the best guests on today. And one of them that's joining us right now, before we come to your calls, ladies and gentlemen, is... My favorite meddlesome priest. 
I'm very much hoping we have uh, we have uh, Father Jules Gomez on the line. Uh, I'm here, Rahim. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's terrific to be on your show this evening. No, no, no. Listen, you are you are one of my great heroes of this week. I had the great pleasure of being in the audience when Jules Gomez gives this barnstorming speech at the inaugural National Conservatism Conference. I've got to tell you, and as uh, you know, Jules, I know you were big on the conference. I was less big on the conference. I thought it could have been a lot tighter. I thought there was a lot more we could have got out of it. But it was a good inaugural conference for as, as, as far as new things go for new causes and new institutions go. I don't think anybody complain, can complain about that. You are one of the stars of the show, in my estimation, and I want to hear from you, and I'm sure this audience wants to hear from you, um, about what the National Co- uh, Conservatism Conference was, why you flew halfway around the world for it, and, and tell us a little bit about what you said and why it's important. Uh, w- well, uh, uh, to, to describe it in words that have been used before, uh, it was a very big hand grenade thrown on the playground of political theorists, on the playground of what's going on in terms of contemporary politics. And it was, uh, it, it, it was, a, it was a call to blend uh, some very ancient conservative political theory with some very recent revivals in nationalism and populism mm. that have mushroomed not only in the United States, but as you know, in certain parts of Europe. And uh, we were privileged to have some of the finest speakers in the world, some of the brightest minds in, minds in the world. And uh, it, it, it did shake uh, a lot of people. It did shake traditional conservative thinking because mm. it focused on the word national. Yes. Tell us, tell us why it's important. I'll tell you what, um, Jules, I, I have talked about this for nearly a decade now, so it feels like a great um, pat on the back, I suppose, or vindication um, yeah. of the return of nationalism. Um, but tell us why that's, why that's important, why nationhood is important, because everyone in the United States, and I know you're back, uh, you're back in uh, um, Crown Sovereign Territory right now, um, but... Uh, everyone here in the United States is talking about this Ilhan Omar and all the the squad with AOC and all those guys. And, of course, they are in opposition to the nation state. Remind this audience, as if they need reminding. I mean, this is one of the best audiences on radio. But just remind them why exactly that's important. Well, first of all, if I may very quickly interject here and say that uh, Ilhan Omar and the squad deserve precisely what Trump said to them. I am a brown-skinned immigrant from India to the United Kingdom, and I can sense racism, but President Donald Trump does not have a single racist bone in his body. Uh, He was not asking them to get out of the country. He was asking, I mean, most people forget the second part of what he said. He was asking them to go back and learn, if they can, from those, uh, you know, what he previously called shithole countries, and come back and teach us something new. Uh, 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 So, uh, now, coming back to nationalism, nationalism has become such a bad word 
because of phony myths. For example, there are people who say that uh, the two world wars were caused because of nationalism. That's complete rubbish. The two world wars were an created as a result of uh, Hitler's and his predecessors' desire to build a global imperium, a global imperium that would be based on race. It is the diametric opposite of nationalism that caused the wars in Europe. It was globalist imperialism. Uh, Absolutely. And... uh, uh, the, the whole idea of a nation state goes back, and this is some, something of what I said. And uh, I drew my ideas from Yoram Hazoni's great book, The Virtue of Nationalism. Uh, it goes right back to 3,000 years to God's call to Abraham to build a nation and that nation would be in turn a blessing to other nations. Interestingly, God also asks Ishmael to uh, that tells uh, Ishmael that he was going to make of him a great nation. Uh, nationalism is, in a sense, particular, and that is its greatness. Since here we can talk about, you know, I love humankind, but I can't stand the person living next to. And nationalism is a counter. Nationalism is also a counter narrative to the sheer hubris of thinking that we can build a globalist society for the common good. And that, in biblical terms, if I may put it that uh, this way, is the, uh, is the archetypal story of Babel uh, that seeks to build a totalitarian, uh, hegemonistic rule that we were challenging at this particular conference. Yeah, it's an incredible point. And um, as I say, Jules Gomez was one of my favorite speakers um, at this conference. This, this, I don't usually like conferences, Jules. I think they're a waste of time. There's a lot of, there's a lot of back slapping that goes on. There's a lot of, um, just, just time wasting. People want to network and all this. I don't have time for that. I'm a doer. Okay. But this one was a little bit different. And as I say, I think there could have been a little bit more substance in, in terms of the undergirding of the arguments, but it's inaugural. It's the first one. We forgive um, the little, the little phrase around the edges. But Jules, you know, this was something different because what it was was slap bang in the heart of Washington, D.C. The, the West, if not the world's, power hub you had these people who were speaking out against the status quo in the status quo ante which has been globalism open borders um one world government and and i i felt like there was something real and something you know in a good way disturbing Uh, you know uh, rahim if i may say this people often confuse nationalism and they assume that nationalism is patriotism on steroids Uh, this is not the case this is not xenophobia we are talking about a political theory and that political theory talks about the nation state as the best organizing principle for doing political life together Jules, we're going to talk about this more at length um, in the future. We want to talk to you more on this show. I'm sure Buck will have you on. I'll have you on whenever I'm guest hosting as well. Your website is Jules Gomez with an S, G-O-M-E-S, 
dot yes. com. Is that correct? The Rebel Priest. Uh, Jules Gomez with an S at the end dot com. Jules, I'm so grateful for you joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show, um, especially because I know it's late in the night where you are. And so we're always grateful to people staying up and communicating with this audience. JulesGomez.com. Father Jules Gomez, thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck and Sexton Show. And it's great to be with you, Raheem. More firepower to your rocket. Thank you so much. Well, my rocket needs all the help it can get. We're going to go to a break right now. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back. It's the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, broadcasting live out of Washington, D.C. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to humanevents.com. You can go to at Raheem Kassam. That's R-A-H-E-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parler, all of the things. I'm all over those things, mostly because I have to be on those things if I could not be on social media believe you me I wouldn't be I'm going to come to you guys on the phone lines now um, if you're looking to call in it's 844-900-2825 844-900-BUCK I want to start in I think Philadelphia are we in Philadelphia we got Felix on the line Felix are you with us yes hello Raheem what a pleasure always hello sir how are you doing today I'm I'm fine well I'm a little perplexed actually you know, I'm a big Donald Trump supporter. Actually, mm-hmm. I, w- I was happy to hear that you were going to be on. I had a number of topics I would have loved to discuss with you. But after hearing uh, President Trump's disavowal, you know, of uh, of his audience there mm. at the rally, I'm, I'm a little bit upset that he, he gave in and he basically kissed the boots of the left. Okay. Well, uh, I think he should have explained, you know, what the people are thinking because, I mean, we're not racist. We're, you know... Uh, but however, I mean, well, these ladies. Felix, it's interesting, isn't it? Nobody's ever said send her back to to Ayan Hirsi Ali, who is a refugee from Somalia, who is integrated and assimilated and become a very, very constructive part of the American fabric. Nobody's ever said that to her. Nobody's ever said it to uh, just uh, just a grand plethora of people who have come to the United States from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds, from all different ethnicities, from all different skin colors and i only say skin color because the left cares about skin color felix it's this one woman right who is particularly egregious particularly offensive i don't mean offensive as in i'm offended i mean she attempts to be on the offensive as far as the american constitution is concerned on a daily basis felix i agree with you in the sense that trump says and i quote I was not happy with it. I disagree with it when he's talking about the send her back chant. Uh, But again, Felix, I would add to that. He's speaking in the Oval Office to reporters um, in a circumstance that is about 15 to 20 seconds long. He needs to get that one message across that says, actually, we don't need this woman to leave the country to defeat her ideas. We can defeat them right here. Felix. Yes. Well, you're right, but unfortunately, he opened the door, you know, because right away, you know, the left, everyone is jumping all over him, and he disavowed, and so basically, you know, he he kowtowed to them. I I know what you're saying, but I really was quite upset, and I really actually wanted to talk to you about things that the left throws at us, like the history of slavery in this country. Let's go. How was a black slave owner that? Hello. Yes, you've got time. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and it was actually a black slave owner that changed the, uh, who went to court and sued and actually made 
turned the slaves into property that once uh, the slave owner died, in other words, they were not set free. They were, they were, they were property. And this was actually accomplished by a black slave owner. And quite frankly, it was the uh, Western Judeo-Christian cultures that put an end to slavery. And as far yep. as being enslaved, they were already slaves before they came here, and it was, you know, basically people of their own, and probably particularly the Muslims, you know, who were the uh, predominant slave traders, and there were two and a half million to three million white slaves that were, uh, you know, in North Africa. Look, Felix, and thank you so much for your call, Felix. We, we, we know the real serious people the people who look at history we know about the arab slave trade we know about william wilberforce we know who really started this whole thing and who really ended it okay and i think in in the grand scheme of things most conscientious voting americans uh know that and i share your concerns and i'm sure you have them i'm, I'm putting words in your mouth now felix but i i'm sure you feel this way that the next generation is not that conscientious about what it knows and the left be it the left people in nike or the left people on television are intent in their falsehoods they are intent in their lies they are intent in leading people down the wrong path of both American history and contemporaneous events. However, I feel like there's something changing. And it's not just changing in America, it's changing all across the Western world. People aren't willing to send their children to these common core schools anymore. People aren't willing to say to their children, take on $120,000 worth of debt over the course of your lifetimes um, in order to be indoctrinated. And so I see, as long as we are willing to keep banging those drums and keep bringing that energy to the table that we may well just win this fight in the long run and I'm still delighted uh, no matter what he kowtowed to this morning that the president is Trump and is not anyone else at this point in time because believe you me it would be a lot worse under Hillary certainly but I think it might be a whole lot worse under Rubio or Bush or somebody that would have not just been willing to kowtow to the left, but actually go further than their agenda in the hopes of proving that they weren't a racist or weren't a whatever it is ist that they throw at us nowadays. I think we have a, a, a couple of minutes left. Can we get Darren in West Virginia on the line? Darren, are you with us? Hello. Hey, Darren, how's it going? Uh, it's going well, thank you. Let Thanks us have it. It's on. all yours. Yeah, thank you. So, first of all, I just want to make a comment about the the uh, the chant last night and the president's response today. Go ahead. Um, first of all, I I think you know when you have a, a crowd of enthusiastic people, no matter no matter what their political stripes are, whether it's at a sporting event or at a political event, um, mob rule is a real thing. <laughs> and so, once one person starts chanting it, in the heat of the moment, other of people course. start chanting it as well. And I, I, I suspect it's a wrestling a match. There. Come on. Yes, yes, yes. And I suspect that a lot of people that chanted that last night may have second thoughts about it today. That that perhaps that was one one step too far, saying send her back. Yes. Um, so so I agree with the president. Darren, we've in, got about we've got about twenty five seconds before the break. Go ahead. Yeah. 20, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. But, yep. So the other thing I was going to say is I just want to draw a parallel between. Carter and you know Carter and the malaise that the United States was in and then Reagan coming in afterwards 
and then we had Obama, and now we have Trump. And I think that there's these pendulum swings that happen back and forth in politics, and sometimes we just have to wait for the cycles to get better. Darren, I do not disagree with you one bit, and thank you so much for your call. Sorry, it was a little bit rushed here at the end of the first hour, but the great news is this is only the first hour, ladies and gentlemen. We have two more left. This is Raheem Kassam on the Buck Sexton Show. Call in. Don't miss out. 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. Buck Sexton here in the Freedom Hut with Charles Thorngren, CEO of Noble Gold. Charles, China's buying up gold. Foreign governments are buying up gold. What do they know that your investor out there, that folks that are building their 401ks and trying to prepare for retirement, maybe could take a page from their book? It really comes down to this. It's the intrinsic value of metals. It's the safety of metals. In a time and place where everything is up one day, down the next, there's one thing that offers you security, and that's precious metals. China's known that for many years. That's why I've been a net buyer for such a long time. Precious metals should be a part of your portfolio. Hedge yourself. Protect yourself against an uncertain future with Noble Gold today. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com today to receive your free gold guide or call 877-646-5347, 877-646-5347 or on the web at noblegoldinvestments.com. Be sure to tell them Buck sent you. Welcome back. It's the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam, filling in for Buck Sexton from the Freedom Hut in downtown Washington, D.C. It is a swelteringly hot day. In case you were wondering, here in D.C., 100 degrees, all that humidity, and so on and so forth. So I can't wait, frankly, to get down to the border next week. And we will be going down to the border in El Paso uh, for the We Build the Wall organization. And I'm very glad to have the organization's founder and CEO joining us on the line, Brian Colfage, U.S. Air Force veteran and the founder of WeBuildTheWall.us. Um, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Brian. So uh, I remember when you launched We Build the Wall, um, this crowdfunding operation um, to get around all of the nonsense that the U.S. government is going through to try and get a secure border. You'd think it would be quite easy for a nation to get its secure border. Um, but the Democrats don't want it to happen. The media doesn't want it to happen. So you guys said, you know what, we'll do it ourselves. And, and there's something about that that is just incredibly American and also incredibly um, American armed services uh, that, that would get something like that done. And you have done it. Tell us a little bit about what you've done and a little bit about what's taking place next week in El Paso, because I have never been there, and I'm very excited to be there. Yeah, well, you know, you'd think it would be something that the, you know a lot of our politicians would want to have national security, but uh, as we learned, they, they don't, and they, I think it's because they're profiting off of it. And, you know, we, we've been able to expose a lot of corruption, a lot of things with, with this process, and what we did was we built our first border section, which plugged a gap. There was a half-mile gap on the border and this area was just overrun with illegals coming through i mean it was crazy it was like the wild west like stuff you see in the videos of people running across in europe yeah. and uh the, the property owner was sick of it just sick and tired of it and he was an 85 year old vietnam veteran a fighter pilot and a chemical engineer very smart and no one would do anything for this guy i mean the federal government denied building him a wall they said they couldn't build it because it was impossible to build up the mountain and 
it just struck a chord with me and our team. We're like, how can this be impossible? You know, the, this shouldn't be impossible to build a wall, or build a fence, mm-hmm. any type of barrier up this mountain. And that's what we did. It took us uh, less than a month, and we built it. Wow. And now this guy, he has security, and not a single person has been able to cross since we built it. It's amazing. So it went from 100 well, crossings a day, 100 people across a day, now to zero, and then, and not a one in the, since we built it. Just, just, just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you have a, you have a hundred crossings a day illegally, in in just one little place. How how big is the stretch, Brian? A, a half mile. A half a mile. And, yep. And and you're and you're stopping that. You're stopping thirty six odd thousand people a year. Now maybe some of them are going elsewhere and whatever. But the point is yep. that you 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 build on that. You expand that, and you secure the nation's borders. Tell us a little bit about how you know how you guys did that. Like how did you fundraise for it? What were the logistical things? And and tell us about El Paso next week. Yeah, well, the, the fundraising was was just a viral campaign to build the border wall, and I think it it did strike a chord with everyone who was fed up with our, our federal government of not taking action, and uh, it gave people a way to donate and to speak up, and they were speaking up by donating, and that's how we raised every single penny, and we raised over $2 million just from people giving $5. That's a lot. It's a lot of $5 donations to, to add up to $2 million. And, uh, you know, it just it gave the American people a way to to have direct impact and know that every single dollar they were donating was going to build something that would protect our nation um, and show the federal government that we can get it done. Um, I think it's in a time of crisis, Americans always come together to fix a problem or come together to unite and, and get the job done. And that's what we saw here. Um, and every every wall that we build is basically a it's protest wall. It's giving the middle finger to these politicians in D.C., who, who say Americans don't want it, and we're showing them that the Americans do want it because they're building it themselves, uh, mile by mile, and for half the cost. And and um, you've and taken have- and you've taken the, the the flack personally on this as well from a politi- in a political sense. The media, you know, trying to smear you, and now the latest thing is they've come up with oh, and you're hitting roadblocks and you can't get it done. Oh yeah. I mean, what what do they think? I mean. Here's the thing. You are a person who has come along to this and said, I want to build something that a lot of the country wants, right? And of yep. course, there are going to be logistical problems. Of course, that it's the same in any yep. business. It's the same in any line of work. But they, they, they big it up and they say, oh, well, you know, they're failing and this thing will never get done. Meanwhile, I can see the diggers. I've seen the videos. I've seen the wall itself. And I'm flying down there to El Paso with you next week. Tell us a little bit about what's going down at the symposium next week and how people can, uh, can be a part of it. Yeah, if, um, you know, if you go to our website, webuildthewall.us, there's a, a, a link that goes to the Wall Symposium website. And what this is, is we want to invite you know Americans, and you know, it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. We want people to come down there and see what we built, and also we, we want to educate people and our politicians on what's going on and what we've mm. learned, and um, bring everyone together on this on, on the real crisis. And right. Um, we, we've learned that, you know, there's a lot of, there's chaos going on at the border and certain politicians and certain people are benefiting from this. Mm. They're, benef- they're benefiting from the chaos. Um, it's all about money and it's only hurting the American people and they're, they're enabling this crisis. And uh, it's time that we start uniting and standing up and educating people on what's going on. And this, this is what this is about, it's about education. And, uh, you know, going into the 2020 elections, we want to make sure that the right people are educated 
on, on what's really going on because a lot of people don't understand what's really going on. And that's why even Louis Gomert's coming down there saying he wants to see what's going on and see what we build and, and learn and learn about all the, the crap going on in D.C. that we've been dealing with. Yeah, you have you have an all-star cast coming down next week. I mean, uh, you, David Bossy, Sheriff David Clark, uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert, Mike Cernovich, Adam Brandon, Chris Kobach, who's going to be on the show just after you. And, of course, yours truly, Raheem Kassam, will be there. You know, this is going to be quite yeah. the event. Um, just tell us, uh, look, you can, you, can, you can put your name on a brick. You can put your name on a bollard. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that and how people can get involved with that. Yes, um, you know that's just another uh, another way to get the American people involved. That they want to um, buy a brick. Uh, we, we're selling bricks for a hundred dollars, and you can put your name on it, and those bricks will go down at the base of the wall. And there's many, there's other things that people can buy. If, if you just go to our website, webuildthewall.us, it has it in there. But this will be enshrined at this wall for generations, and it, it's a way that to take part in it. And with the, with that donation, it goes to fund our next border wall segment, which we're working on right now. And so it's very important that you know we can keep we keep driving this forward. We want to keep standing up to the, these politicians in D.C. who say that Americans don't want it. And we're not going to stop building until the money runs out. And uh, it's people like yourself who are, you know putting the word out there to keep this moving, and we we really appreciate it. Well, Brian, we hope the money never does run out. That's Brian Colfage. We build the wall.us. Brian, thanks so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the support. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have Chris Kobach on next as well. Um, you will perhaps remember him. Has run for Senate, has, uh, has been one of the pioneers behind the uh, voter fraud um, Investigations that have been taking place over the last couple of years. Big, uh, big supporter of the president. I know the president's a big supporter of his. He's also going to be down there in El Paso next week, where a lot of us will be trying to bring attention to the fact that the border wall has not been built because of the obstructionism in Washington, D.C. And so, therefore, just as per the founding of your nation, ladies and gentlemen, citizen action is required. And I'm going to be pleased to be down there. This is the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam. The phone lines are open. If you want to have your say, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Still to come on the show, as I say, Chris Kobach, Matt Peterson of the Claremont Institute, Peggy Grandy, who's going to be launching a new pro-Brexit organization in the United States in a couple of days. I want to talk to you about that and a whole lot more. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Buck Sexton Show, broadcasting live out of Washington, D.C., Thursday, the 18th of July, 2019. Delighted to have joining us now Chris Kobach. Uh, Chris, good uh, good evening to you. Great to, great to be with you, Ian. Well, depending on where you are in the world, where are you in the world at the moment? Uh, I am in Kansas, so it is uh, uh, about 6.30 here. Oh, okay, it's just it's just into the evening, Chris. We're so delighted you're joining us, and and I think you and I are going to bump into each other next week um, down at the border in El Paso as well. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that and your work with We Build the Wall, but you're also running again. Tell us a little bit about that before we move on to to South or or, or on the border. Right. So I uh, threw my hat in the race for an open U.S. Senate seat representing Kansas. And one of the driving issues is, of course, the failure of the U.S. Senate to move the ball on building the wall. 
indeed the Senate has been dragged kicking and screaming, it seems, uh, whenever the president wants to make progress on anything related to illegal immigration. And so, you know, I'm hoping that uh, in the United States Senate, I'll actually be able to carry the flag for the president. And, and more specifically, because I've been uh, litigating as an attorney, I've been fighting the ACLU in court on a number of these immigration issues, representing ICE agents, representing cities like Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Um, I'll be able to, you know, know more than the staffers do about what statutes need to be changed, uh, you know, how to close the asylum loopholes. We really don't have an immigration expert in the U.S. Senate right now, and I'm hoping to fill that void, not just for the people of Kansas, but for, for all Americans who care about this issue. Well, and and it's one of those seats where so many high-profile names have been thrown in there. You know, you've had Mike Pompeo, Ajit Pai. They've both declined on that. Uh, Matt Schlapp, the head of the ACU, and all these other guys. What What sets you apart... If if you're doing your sort of pitch to the the Kansas audience of this show right now from from any other potential candidates, well, there's there's two things. One is of course the my experience on on the immigration front, which is so critical. And then the second is I was a professor of constitutional law for 15 years in the Kansas City area, and that expertise I think is important right now in our country because we've got so many constitutional principles that are right down to one vote in the United States Supreme Court, whether you're talking about the Second Amendment, you're talking about the commerce power and its abuse uh, in the uh, passing of Obamacare, Mm. uh, whether you're talking about the right to life, you name the issue, it seems like almost every one is a 5-4 decision, including uh, the ridiculous decision we got recently uh, saying that the um, United States could not ask on the census whether a person is a citizen uh, for an administrative reason, not for a constitutional reason. And so it's Absolutely important. Just, uh, but, but hold on. That's a very interesting point. Why is the Supreme Court weighing in on, on logistical uh, concerns rather than what's constitutional or not? So the, um, the ACLU threw everything they could at the citizenship question, which, which is one of the things I've discussed with uh, President Trump, and I was one of you know, the early people to talk to him about that issue. And they threw the, a constitutional challenge. They threw a statutory challenge under the Census Act. And then their last challenge, they threw in an administrative law challenge. And and the U.S. Supreme Court said it. it, they denied the ACLU's constitutional challenge. They said it's perfectly constitutional to ask this question, and it's been done for just about every census. And they said it doesn't violate the Census Act. But on the the Administrative Procedure Act challenge, they they went really into the into the weeds and said, well, the the way you gave the justification for this Commerce Department is not quite right, and we need you to do it all over again. And because the Supreme Court issued its decision so late in the game, the Commerce Department decided that they weren't going to try to rush through and, and, and do it a second time under the Administrative Procedure Act. The I think it's an absolute disgrace. I think it's an absolute disgrace, Chris. I mean, honestly, yeah. this is this is something that is taking place in almost every single U.S. census that has ever been, and it is right. something that at this point in time, I, I'm sure you would agree, is needed now more than ever. Oh, it absolutely is needed. There are two. There, there are multiple big reasons. I guess the three biggest ones are: first of all, we've got so many non-citizens living in the United States right now that we have a, a, a gross violation of the principle of one man or one person, one vote. Uh, let's imagine that you live in, um, you know, in California in a, in a district that has 350,000 citizens and 350,000 non-citizens. Mm-hmm. I live in Kansas, and there are 700,000 citizens and virtually no non-citizens. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just imagine. Your vote 
is twice as strong as mine because you have half the number of voters in your district. And the Supreme Court ruled more than 50 years ago that uh, you can't have unequal district sizes. Uh, So that's one reason. Another is that the 14th Amendment requires the United States to know how many citizens it has, Mm -hmm. uh, which is absolutely essential. And then another reason uh, is, you know, we've we've been estimating how many illegal aliens we have for for decades now, and, and nobody really knows. It could be 11 million, it could be 30 million. If we ask this question on the census, you can deduce pretty quickly uh, how many you have, because you then know how many aliens and how many citizens you have, and you can subtract the number of legal aliens that are currently authorized to be in the United States from the number of total number of aliens, and you can actually get a pretty accurate count of illegal aliens. But of course... Travesty uh, there's none there, but we hope we hope President Trump's ways of getting around that will be equally, if not more, um, accurate in terms of identifying that uh, the jury is still out. Let's talk a little bit about where we'll be next week, El Paso, uh, Texas. Yeah. Uh, Chris, um, we build the wall.us. We just had um, Brian Colfage on the show as well, just before you gave us a little rundown of what's going on there. Tell us why it's so important to you and why you think people should be involved. Well, um, let me put it in, in a personal perspective. So I've been, uh, you know, fighting the fight on the immigration issue for the better part of two decades, including uh, helping draft Arizona's SB 1070, representing ICE agents against the ACLU, uh, or sorry, against the Obama administration. And of all these things I've done, uh, I have to say, We Built the Walls project has been the most exciting and tangible. We have actually, for the first time in American history, uh, put up privately constructed wall on the border of the United States, and it's superior to the wall constructed by the U.S. government. It's similar, but but superior in many respects. And so it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity for people to get involved and actually do something tangible to uh, improve the security of the United States, and you can see your money going to work. And so this uh, conference down on the border next week is – partly about the building of the wall, but it's also about the larger issue of why we have a crisis in immigration right now. And you'll, you'll be there speaking, I'll be there speaking, a, a whole host of experts from uh, all over the country and, and indeed all over the world will be coming in to speak about why we need to secure our border and, and the various crises that are involved. That's exactly right. Chris Kobach, tell people where they can go uh, to check out more about your campaign. Maybe if they fancy yes. donating, they might do that too. Yes. If anyone wants to support the campaign or just find out more, they can go to my website, which is chriskobach.com. It's K-R-I-S-K-O-B-A-C-H.com. Thank you so much for joining us here this Thursday afternoon, Chris Kobach. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, the phone lines are open. I want your response to all of these things. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK is the number here. We're going to go to a quick break, and I have segmented the next section out for you guys. So don't be shy. Hop on the lines. If you're hostile, if you're favorable, if you're somewhere in between, if you have a question, if you have a comment, I love hearing from you guys out there. 844-900-2825. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for the traveling Buck Sexton this evening, broadcasting live out of Washington, D.C. The phone lines are open. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I'm going to come to you guys on the lines now. Let's go to line two. Anthony's in Baltimore. Anthony, good evening. Well, I just wanted to say that uh, I, I really don't think Donald Trump's a, a racist at heart. I, I think 
because of the way he was brought up, you know, kind of insulated and living the lifestyle of, you know, that his father provided him. He he didn't really grasp the depth of what racism really is, but he's been aligned with it because, you know, like during the Obama time when he was, he said he had the proof that Obama wasn't a citizen, and that kind of played into the narrative that was going on because, you know, most black people here in this country have the, the names of the people who owned them, you know, when doing right. slavery. Obama came with a, a, na- a real African name, and, you know, it, 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 you know, it kind of, you know, created uh, a stare amongst folks that were willing to believe he wasn't a citizen. Uh, and when the NFL players got down on their knees begging for the same liberty that everyone else has, you know, I think he kind of fell in line with putting them down, not really knowing the extent of the terrorism that black people, including myself, have endured for decades in this country. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it was, it, it was, it was terrible. But, you know, I, I think if he had, uh, if, if he had handled the NFL situation differently, mm. I think he'd have had black people in his camp solidly, Democrat, Republican, whatever they are. But, you know, I think he got wrong advice on that because what was going on on the street, you know, I mean, I, I know and, and don't think that it's, you know, I mean, people say if you don't like this country, you should go. I mean, black people lived in this country for a couple hundred years and they mm. couldn't have been happy with the way they were treated, but they put too much into building this country mm. to leave. So, you know, uh, and and I think, Anthony, you bring up some really interesting points because there are so many distinctions to be made here. Right. There are so many. um, It's it's like for me, it gets very and like you, I come from a sort of ethnic minority background, although it doesn't, you know, I don't really care. It doesn't doesn't define who I am. And I I very care about it when I get the left, however, telling me how I should think and how I should act and how I should feel about something, how I should vote, how I should behave uh, as a result of all those things. Then it's starts to sort of weigh on me and grind my gears and you know like you i don't think i mean look if if donald trump had been a racist for any part of his career um for any part of his life we would have known about it way before the political campaign of 2016 and we would have known about it way before elan omar started flapping well, their well, thumbs about well, it as well. well he was sued for discrimination in housing but again uh, you know i i think yeah, but also, Anthony, don't forget, he also won an award. He won an award. He's pictured there winning an award for from, exactly, from ethnic minority exactly. people. So there's swings you know, and roundabouts in life, you know? Not everything is just clear-cut. Yeah, I know. It's not. That's why I say I don't believe he's a racist. Yeah, I agree I, with you. I just believe that, you know, because of the way he was raised, he was somewhat insulated from what we, you know, say would be a, a down south, down hardcore racist. Sure. I know that kind. And, you know, I, I, I lived amongst them. And I, I saw the damage that they did to my father and family and, and what they did to me. Mm. But, you know, I don't think he had any clue to that. And, and that comes from, 
you know, him having a life in commercial real estate. I mean, if he'd have been a, 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 a in studied sociology or mm. you know some other, you know, it, it might have given him more insight where he could have you know mellowed his position. And I, I mean, I'm a I'm a hardcore <laughs> liberal, but I, man, I Anthony, cried, I have to I say this like a baby when George Bush died. Anthony, you know, I have to say this: I am so glad for so very many reasons that this president never studied sociology. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. We have we have this joke in England where I'm from about the ologies, right? And how people go into into pseudosciences and social sciences um, because they don't know how to build anything and they don't want to create anything and they don't want to risk take anything themselves. And this is something this man has done. Let me ask you this, Anthony: How do you let's let's take President Trump out of this equation for a second? How do you think that the the country should receive the squad? Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and AOC and all these guys. Are you are you a fan? What do you think we should do with them? Well, you know, I, I am opposed to any ban on Americans that uh, pro- prohibit them from protesting anything. Including no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. You and I will agree on that. We, we, we're both classical issue. liberals in that that's sense. That's one of the issues she brought up. You know, we shouldn't be able to, to, to you know, you shouldn't lose your job because you boycott or, or, or have a, a, an opinion about a country. And that doesn't mean you're anti-Semitic just because you, you don't like Israeli policies. You know, I mean, I can be convinced that, this, you know, for strategic reasons, we maybe need to support Israel. But I think in this country, we got off track thinking that they are the, the biblical Hebrews or the descendants of Christ. And, and they are not. They, you know, well, they're co- converts from the, you know, Kasarian kingdom on the King Bulan. They converted to Judaism. Anthony, they that's that's Anthony, Hebrews. that's all fine. But what do you? That's all fine for you to have and to hold as as an opinion to say that thing. But what do you do when you have a sitting congresswoman who has all? I mean, I guess you've been listening to the whole show. Did you Did you hear me at yeah, the beginning? I have. What do you do when you have these and, sketchy you know, backgrounds? I mean, as, as, as far as what she she has said. You know, these are these are sore points in this country because, you know, you really can't criticize the government of Israel without repercussions. You know, serious repercussions. I mean, well, I see, and 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 I and I and I respect you for, for 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 saying that and being clean about it. But there are a lot of people in this country you will accept, and and in my country and in all across Europe, Anthony, who who both want to criticize the government of Israel and want to criticize quote unquote the Jews as a result. You you understand that those people exist, right? Yeah, I mean, I understand that, but you know, you know, like I say, I can be convinced to you know to support for strategic reasons. We've mm. we've supported worse governments in Israel for strategic reasons, mm. but you know, but the, the the main reason we're behind Israel is everyone has the assumption that they are somehow related to the biblical Hebrews. They are not. They're, they're well, I, look, like I'm Donald not sure. Trump's daughter converted converted to to, to Judaism. This, this is this 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 has been the big fraud. I mean, they call you anti-Semitic, and Semitic is a class of languages, and all of them are indigenous to, to Africa. Uh, Arabic is a Semitic language. Sure. You know, look, Aramaic is a Semitic. Anthony, language. we've only got we've only got thirty seconds I'm left in this uh, in this um, part of the show. African Anthony, we, <laughs> Anthony, I appreciate it. We're going to have to leave it there. We've only got thirty seconds left until the hard break. Believe me. 
if I could take us beyond, I would, but they tend to get a little bit mad when I cut their advertisers off. But Anthony, thank you very much for the call. I do disagree in, in, your, um, in your analysis there of why the United States has strategically supported um, the nation of Israel, the, the, the Jewish state, for all these years. Um, I think there's far more to it than just... Um, you know, believing in the the, the, the descendancy of, of certain people, I think it is the only free nation in the entire region. And I think that means a lot, an awful lot, to a lot of people in the Western world. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We're going to be right back after this break. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam, Global Editor-in-Chief of HumanEvents.com, Reagan's old favorite magazine, filling in for Buck Sexton here from a very, very sweaty Washington, D.C. It's 100 degrees in the swamp, and it's sweltering hot, and I took the decision to walk to the Freedom Hut today, and that was a very, very big mistake, let me tell you that. You'll probably notice this if you know any English people, any people that were born and raised in the United Kingdom, in fact, um, that we, we really enjoy talking about the weather. We could talk about the weather all day long, and I'm very often tempted to do just that. But I shan't bore you with any more details about what it's like here in Washington, D.C. I want to hear from you guys out there. Not necessarily just about the weather. Uh, it's 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK is the number here on the show. And if you missed any of the last two hours, you're going to want to go and listen back. We've had some great calls from you guys out there, some great counterpoints, as well as some a series of phenomenal guests on the show. I uh, hope you agree. If you want to communicate with me and you don't fancy calling in, maybe uh, maybe you're a little nervous, maybe you uh, haven't called into a radio show before, I would encourage you to drop the insecurity and give us a call. But if not, I'm on all the social media platforms at Raheem Kassam, R-A-H-E-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M. If you've got any good points to make, tweet them at me, all that stuff. We'll read them out as the show goes on. I'm delighted to be joined now uh, by one of my great heroes, Matthew Peterson, from the Claremont Institute, one of my favorite think tanks in the entire world and of course i'm a massive nerd so i would have a favorite think tank list matt thanks for joining us here on the show raheem it's great to be here and i uh, bring word from a place where uh, we don't have the humidity and it's not a swamp sunny southern california which uh, actually does have a conservative think tank I know, it's extraordinary. A lot of people don't know about it, and we'll, if, hopefully we'll have the time in this segment for you uh, to give the uh, the Claremont Institute and your new website, The American Mind, which is at AmericanMind.org. Uh, we'll give it another plug uh, later on. I wanted to talk to you about this um, fantastic article you've written. It's called Stiffening the Backbone of the Right. It was published on American Greatness, um, which is another one of my favorite sites. Um, Matthew, talk us through this, I guess, call to arms that you, you've issued? Because it's getting a lot of traction on the uh, on the conservative interwebs. Yeah, so I, this actually stems from the reaction that I see, and I see this reaction all the time in, in the conservative world, especially in the intellectual side of it, where people go, oh my gosh, hold on a minute, the left can't actually do this. That's terrible. How could they? And I just... 
you know, I think anyone who's sensible, the people are leading right now, not the intellectuals, thank God. The people are out in front. But, you know, anyone who's sensible on this knows, of course, there's no rules for the left. That's how they operate. And so I, I wrote this op-ed because people were saying, how could CNN give a platform to an actual neo-Nazi, Richard Spencer, uh, who they put on air to call Trump's tweets racist, how could they do that? And you saw people on the right and the left saying this, and I just I just thought, guys, we know they don't care. There, there are no rules for them. They don't have to apologize for any of this stuff. They don't operate in the in the same you know universe of physical laws that, that the right has to. And it's just Matt, high Matt, time, just, just I mean, me. three years into Trump, that we stop playing by their rules. Let's... let's um put a little bit of context around this for the people that don't know out there. Richard Spencer is this guy who is an avowed white nationalist, uh, an avowed ethno-nationalist. He, he has almost nothing in common with the, with the real right, um, but he's been held as this flag-bearer, as this torch-bearer for what has become known as the alt-right um, for so very many years now that we can't stop hearing about him, even though he's got really no reach, no pull, no institution, no organization, um, no cadre of individuals, intellectual or otherwise, that support him. Um, and time and time again, the media and the establishment political classes have tried to tie him and his very, very small group of friends um, to the Trump administration and to conservatism. And, and of course, no right-wing outlets have ever sought to promote Richard Spencer, but the one who did this week was not a right-wing outlet, it was CNN. CNN puts him on television to rebuke Trump and to rebuke the Trump administration as if to say you're losing your core support but this person was never part of the core support never part of one of the, the one of the uh, stools uh, uh, legs of the stools of the of the of the Trump base so, so it's it's kind of a rope a dope that's been going on here and I just don't understand it doesn't really compute to me that how Brian Stelter and Oliver Darcy and Chris Cuomo and Jake Tapper and all of these guys who wax lyrical day in and day out over the dangers of promoting the alt-right and the ethno-nationalists and all these guys they then put him on national television right and, and Raheem I mean exactly right and as you know well uh, you know, the big tech platforms will cut you off for something much less than cavorting around with, uh, you know, neo-Nazis or spouting hate. I mean, uh, so so here they are in a flagrant hypocrisy. They're, they're, they wanted him on air, though, because they wanted him to say that Trump's tweets were great and they were racist. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did, but then he immediately went on to say, to complain that Trump has done nothing for white nationalists, and then they kind of cut the interview off. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, 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 my point is they don't care, right? I mean, they don't have to care because they don't have to play by the same rules they impose on everybody else. So what's your solution? Well, I mean, you, you know, your op-ed was read out this uh, morning, I think, by the, 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 the great Rush Limbaugh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, which, which gets a whole load of traction. I'm sure you've had a whole lot of eyes on this thing. Just, just condense it down to us. What do you say? What are the solutions? Where are you going with this? 
Yeah, well, I think the the point is, I mean, just to give some other examples besides race, I mean, look, mainstream media outlets, as I say, don't have to apologize for wild conspiracy theories that terrify half the country, right? I mean, you have to apologize for not believing them about Russian collusion. They don't have to apologize for spreading crazy stories about Justice Kavanaugh being a serial gang rapist, but you have to believe all women, right? So, So this is the game they play. So the solution is... Uh, very important. I think people have to start to recognize when they're playing by the left's rules. They have to stand up and and be courageous and reject that entire framework. And that's going to take some doing. And I think people really need to think. They need to study up on the problem of identity politics and political correctness. This isn't these these phrases. Are, are, refer to dangerous ideas that are that are impacting America in a very serious way, and we have to understand what's going on and what this this framework of the left is. And that, I mean, there's plenty on the AmericanMind.org about uh, the danger of identity politics and political correctness, uh, which has become its own religion at this point. And there's all kinds of things we can do to fight against it, but first we have to understand it. And ultimately, I think all Americans should rest on the principle that uh, all human beings are. Created equal according to the laws of nature and nature's God. And that means that racism on both sides is a problem. But we need to, we need to acknowledge when the left is, is playing a double standard, right? And that's exactly what's going on. And that's why people are so mad uh, and stand with Trump against the squad, because they see uh, they, they see the uh, you know they see the way the squad thinks about America. And it, it's, it's not a, a matter of, of treating all people equally. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I wrote, I wrote, I, I won't say something similar, um, but on, in, in a similar uh, sort of thread of thought uh, yesterday um, on human events, everyone's gone nuts for power and profit was the was the name of the article, and it sort of goes through. I don't know if you see this. I saw this, uh, Matt, exactly how this new um, outrage over Chris Pratt, this actor wearing uh, a t-shirt with the Gadsden flag on it, came about. Effectively, there were four or five people on Twitter who complained about this, obviously right. not knowing the Gadsden flag's history and any of that. And then Yahoo News takes the tweets and says, Chris Pratt criticized for wearing this you know, racist t-shirt or whatever they said about it. And, and then the whole country has to work itself into a tizzy in order to placate this writer at Yahoo News who's decided to create a national furore over something that really isn't controversial at all. Um, and just time and time again, and to, to, to adopt uh, an American colloquialism, um, as you know, I'm not often want to do, Matt, they're playing us. <laughs> yes. Yes, that, that, and that's the thing. I mean, I think that it's important for people to realize that there's lots of normal people out there who certainly care about, uh, you know, opposing racism and making sure that people are treated equally. That's the point, to treat mm. people equally under the law. That is America. But it, everyone is, is starting, I think, increasingly, more and more people on the right are starting to realize uh, that in the hands of the left, this is just a tool. This is just a tool for mm. power. They don't have to abide by the same rules, right? They can stay governor, even though they make sick jokes about blackface and the KKK while they're in medical school. Mm. But God forbid, you know, you're committing microaggressions you're not even aware of and ancestors you never knew you must atone for, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. And so so, so what we need are leaders who can stand up against it. And, and this is, in large part, Trump's success, because it, by not backing down, 
by by sticking you know his his uh, his his flag, planting his flag, people rally around that because they're looking mm. for someone to to call the game what it is. Mm. Matt, I assure you, there is nothing micro about my aggressions, okay? Um, <laughs> oh, I know this firsthand. Pat Peterson. Uh, I'll, I'll just testify to that to, <laughs> to the audience. Raheem has macro aggression problems. You know, uh, uh, on a daily basis. Matt, tell us where we can find more about your work at the Claremont Institute and the American Mind. You can go to AmericanMind.org and Claremont.org to learn more about the Claremont Institute. And full disclosure, I am a Claremont Institute Lincoln Fellow, and therefore I will say subscribe also to the Claremont Review of Books. It is one of the most magnificent reads you can get in through your mailbox every quarter, to the point where I have cancelled dates, and it's not a lie, because CRB has arrived on my doorstep that day. That is how uh, committed I am to, to that. Matt Peterson, thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, thank you as well. Uh, thanks again. Anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you're on the phone lines. It's uh, 844 Buck going to come to you guys pretty soon. Got a couple of more great interviewees for you. In the meantime, we're going to be right back with more after this short break. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. My name's Raheem Kassam, the editor-in-chief of humanevents.com. Joining you for the last... Um, Gosh, half an hour or so of the show. Where does the time go, ladies and gentlemen? The phone lines are open here. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. There's breaking news coming out of the Strait of Hormuz, out of uh, the uh, the Gulf of Hormuz, and um, breaking news coming out of the White House as a result. I've got Adam Credo, one of the senior reporters at the Washington Free Beacon and a great friend of mine joining me on the line now to help us unpack that the headline of the Wall Street Journal right now Trump says US ship downed Iranian drone in the Strait of Hormuz Adam welcome to the show help us uh, help us unpack this yeah, thanks for having me, man. Um, so uh, I, I will point out the the Iranians denied that uh, a drone was lost, so it's kind of unclear. I, I tend to believe the president more than I do the Iranians, given their um, <laughs> you know so. pattern of lying uh, all <laughs> of the time, and of course cheating on the nuclear program. But this is a little bit of tit for tat. Um, I, I also got to say I don't see the Iranians uh, as doing more in reaction to this than continuing to throw temper tantrums, which is what they've been doing. Doing their harassment of tankers in the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz, like you mentioned, also their downing of our drone. These are provocative actions, but um, I actually agreed with the president when he called off a military strike. It really uh, didn't seem to be worth it for what they were doing. This is, as always, Iran. Um, acting poorly in order to try to get the Europeans and, of course, the United States to roll back some of these harsh sanctions and save their economy. Right, and it doesn't seem to be working, actually. People seem to be wising up, or, or, or as uh, uh, my good friend Steve Bannon always says, getting the joke. Um, the Europeans especially are quite are quite um, lackadaisical and woolly on this, wanted to stick with the Iran deal when it, it was even abundantly clear that they the Iranians had no intent um, of following along with it. And now even the Europeans seem to be waking up. The Germans, the French, seem to be waking up to what the Iranians really are all about. I mean, it... Um, it sort of is evident to the every man, but hasn't been evident to the 
career political classes and career civil service classes uh, across Europe for some time now. The Iranians also saying that they have uh, seized an oil, uh, an oil tanker and its crew um, in the last couple of hours, um, which sort of ups the ante, I suppose. But again, these guys are not used to really following through on their threats. There's been a lot of threats in the last couple of weeks, but no real action um, as a result. Tell us, Adam, this is your beat. You cover this day in and day out. You have probably uh, the best source network um, in Washington, D.C. and beyond on this uh, on this topic. Do the Iranians actually have anything to saber rattle about? Yeah, they do and they don't. Look, they can cause trouble. Um, they are armed to the teeth over there. I mean, it's not necessarily a match for the United States in a full-on military conflict. Our Navy would uh, absolutely decimate them, but they can do what they've always done, and that's uh, terrorism, whether it's through the IRGC, their mm. paramilitary fighting force, or the terror groups they sponsor, like Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hamas in um, the Gaza Strip over there. And I would certainly expect them to continue this type of stuff, but you raise an interesting point about the Europeans. Maybe kind of finally coming around and realizing that appeasement, um, stopping sanctions, doing business with Iran actually did nothing. They continued to cheat at the deal. We know now that they were supposed to dismantle the Fort Al military bunker that's uh, built into the side of a mountain and that housed their nuclear weapons program. That never happened. Uh, they completely did not live up to that portion of the agreement. So as this information starts to trickle out, I think the Europeans are saying, well, the approach we've been taking has not been working. Maybe there's a better way. And uh, from the end of the Trump administration, they've been pushing the U.N. Security Council now to uh, invoke snapback. That's the snapback of international sanctions that, in addition to what the administration's doing just with the U.S., um, would completely cripple the Iranian economy more than it already is and potentially spark popular protest in the country. And we've, we've seen a little bit of that already. Some of the reporting that you do, I think, um, sometimes can escape the general public. You, you know, you do a lot of in-depth uh, reporting on what's going on in the State Department, what's going on with the Iranian nuclear deal, and so on and so forth. But, you know, just going through a, a, a litany of your articles over the course of the last couple of days, um, Adam, I noticed that there are things that are just not talked about outside of outside of experts on the matter yeah, like no, you. No. For instance, you had the thing, Iran cult smuggling nuke materials out of the U.S. What, 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 what was that? What's, ha what's going on there? Yeah, so this is uh, something that happened between around 2008 and 2013. Iranian agents, Iranian nationals, um, I would call them what they are, spies, uh, members of their intelligence service, actually were involved in a plot to smuggle out carbon fiber. Now, that doesn't sound so serious, but it is a controlled substance and regulated precisely because it can be used to enrich uranium, which we all know the Iranians love to do. They've blown past caps on the restrictions on the amount of uh, moderately to highly enriched uranium they can stockpile in the country. And all of these efforts are uh, towards that goal and towards that end of enriching uranium to weapons-grade purity. So these three individuals actually um, were found during the time the Obama administration was on the international stage negotiating this deal that uh, Donald Trump removed the U.S. Yes. from, uh, these Iranian spies were running around trying to export it. Adam, Adam hang on the line. We've got to jump to a quick break. Hang on the line. We're going to come yeah. back to you after the quick break and we can finish on this. Uh, this is the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. It's Thursday. 
the 18th of July 2019 and a whole lot going on today and a whole lot I'm sure will continue to go on. It doesn't seem like there's any less of the news lately and the breaking news out of the Middle East at the moment is the US is claiming to have shot down an Iranian drone. We've got Adam Credo, senior writer at the Washington Free Beacon, who's stuck with us on the line very kindly. Adam, thank you so much. My pleasure. I did some level grinding in Final Fantasy while I was <laughs> Adam, a man after my own heart, likes uh, <laughs> likes the likes a video game or two. Adam, we'll we'll talk about that more offline because I have recently been taking to World War Z or World War Z, as you guys oh. say. There's nothing. Yeah, there's no. There's nothing better than watching sort of fifty thousand zombies charging at you and you trying to figure out how to stop yeah, them. But that's, that's good. And and you know that's a, a great analogy for the Iranian problem. In a sense. You know. <laughs> Adam, you were talking to us before about this um, uh, more serious issue than video games, um, which is Iran uh, smuggling nuclear materials out of the US. But I just want to reiterate um, for the audience here, what, what do you think uh, when something like this happens now? You've, now, you've had the drone on the US side uh, done. You've um, also had a, a retaliatory action from the US in terms of uh, destroying some of the cyber command and control um, in Iran over the last couple of weeks. And now you're seeing this as well, the US actually taking action themselves to remove Iranian hardware from the skies. For somebody like you who's been in this business for a very long time um, and can kind of, to, to, to some extent, predict what happens next, um, what happens next? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very cautious about saying there's going to be a war. Um, I know that, that people like to use that rhetoric, particularly the old Obama-era officials who formed that nuclear deal. They say that every bevy of sanctions, every salvo the Trump administration makes marches us closer to war. I don't think that's true. I don't, I don't believe that rhetoric. In fact, I think that they forward that rhetoric for lack of a better argument about staying in the deal and why uh, the deal should have remained. That mm. It's a distraction in a lot of ways. But, yeah, look, we, we are marching closer to this coming to a head. Uh, how that happens, I'm not sure. Could it be through diplomacy? Most likely, I would think. Could it be renegotiating the deal? I'm not sure at this point. I don't think the Iranians are open to it, and uh, they certainly at this point still have a willing partner in the Europeans who have upheld their commitments under the deal in terms of rolling back sanctions, uh, giving them money and other cash windfall. So it, it, mm. it truly is hard. And I'm very to sorry about that, by the way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, I, I do blame you. Uh, I, I would also say uh, this was a footnote, again, uh, something nobody really paid attention to, but I, I look at these things. The State Department just sanctioned again today um, networks and affiliates tied to Iran's weapons of mass destruction program. So let us not forget that they do continue to march towards nuclear weapons. They want the know-how and the restrictions uh, on their uranium enrichment and work at this Ford outside I mentioned and other military yes. bunkers has actually continued unabetted. And that in and of itself really reveals what a sham this deal is. But now now you see this Obama echo chamber, and, and surprisingly, their Republican allies, these libertarians like Rand Paul, who I think are trying to tie the president's hands. I don't think they'll win. I think he understands what they're up to. Uh, and I should actually have some news about that tomorrow. Wow. Well, Adam, uh, tell the audience where they can um, read more of your news and follow you. Absolutely. Freebeacon.com and my Twitter, Credo and the number zero. Uh, follow me on there. It's hot. 
Yeah, K R E D O zero. Adam, thank zero. you for joining us That's here me. on the Bucks Thanks, Show. Buddy. I appreciate it. Have a good one on uh, Final Fantasy or whatever video game you've decided to take uh, take a load off with this evening. This is the Bucks Extra Show. The phone lines are open 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. My name's Raheem Kassam filling in here in the Freedom Hut in Washington, D.C. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking out the windows here, downtown Washington, D.C. And I'm honestly, uh, true to form, I'm going to talk about the weather again. I'm hoping that when I leave here, it is slightly cooler um, because it was absolutely roasting earlier on in the day. I want to pivot now to another foreign affairs issue, and it's another foreign affairs issue I know is close to a lot of the hearts of this audience, at least Buck brings me on to talk about it from time to time. Um, It's Brexit, and you'd probably have thought in your mind, or at least I hope you have over the past couple of hours, hey, we've got this British guy on here who used to work for Nigel Farage, why isn't he telling us what's going on with Brexit? Well, the truth of the matter is, I have lived and worked the last couple of years here in uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, I, I, I have my theories and I have my sources and so on and so forth. But there are people with their finger on the pulse far more than I in terms of what's going on on the ground with Brexit and the Brexit party and how close Britain is to leaving the European Union, getting out, casting off the shackles of globalism and the European Union's imperialism. And one of those people, funnily enough, is from the United States but actually is involved in this brand new initiative called World for Brexit. Now, Peggy Grandy is a good friend of mine, but also has been a a great personal friend and ally of one of the greatest presidents this country has ever seen. Peggy was the uh, former personal assistant to the great Ronald Reagan, and for that we thank her and welcome her to the show. Peggy, thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you, Raheem, for having me on today. Well, now, Peggy, um, just before we get started on, on World for Brexit, I want you to tell us a little bit about what you've been doing the last couple of years, because when we first met a couple of years ago, you had just released a book, um, I believe, called The President Will See You Now? Absolutely. And thank you for having me on your show back then to talk about that. And so that's been an exciting and wonderful project to see there's still such a fondness, even across both sides of the political aisle, for that great man who was an incredible leader, an inspiring man who in many ways led our nation and changed the world. And so a lot of what I have done has been Reagan-related, but also I like to think that I am a freedom fighter for democracy. And so wherever I see that under attack, those are usually causes that I'm likely to be found in the middle of. And you have found yourself not just in the middle of, but at the head of uh, the World for Brexit movement, uh, founded by friends of um, the United Kingdom from all around the world. The World for Brexit is a global coalition, um, if I'm not wrong, designed to sustain Uh, The idea that actually the people decide what they want to do and the people decided in the United Kingdom in 2016 what they wanted to do, what we wanted to do because I cast a vote in that very election and we wanted to leave. But Peggy, we still have not left the European Union. Tell us a little bit about what you know about that and, and about World for Brexit and what you guys are going to be doing here over the next couple of weeks. 
Well, we're so excited to announce the launch of World for Brexit just this week. And like you said, it's a global coalition of friends of the UK who want to reinforce the idea that votes do count, democracy matters, and that the UK is um, entitled to free and independent self-governance. And as you know, in 2016, 17.4 million people, including yourself, nearly 52% of the UK voted for Brexit to leave the European Union. And three years later, that still hasn't happened. And in fact, recent polling, as you may know, in the UK shows that now 57% of those in the UK want to see Brexit fully implemented. And that hasn't happened yet. And so we want to stand as a group coming alongside uh, friends of Brexit and supporting their right to self-determination and governance. And we believe it's best for them and best for the world. Uh, well, I thank you for a start as a British citizen um, for do, for doing that. I also want to get into this. Look, uh, when Reagan was around in, in office, um, and you'll appreciate my, my um, reverence for that man as well, I just recently revived his favorite newspaper, Human Events. Um, he had the benefit of having a very strong prime minister working alongside him in the United Kingdom, Margaret Thatcher. Um, and of course, you had Pope John Paul II as well. Now, the problem we have is that we have Pope Francis, and for the last couple of years under President Trump, we've had Theresa May. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're about to have Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom, who is basically a David Cameron redux, who is basically a Theresa May, um, but with a bit of a bigger belly and a floppier haircut. And <laughs> nothing really seems to be changing in that regard. But the polling in the United Kingdom shows that actually the British public may be willing to undertake a very Trumpian revolution of their own, um, electorally, not just referendumly, um, in the form of delivering seats for the Brexit party, the new party led by Nigel Farage in the United Kingdom, and some of the recent polling shows that they may actually go on to win a parliamentary majority in an upcoming general election, which really would change not just the United Kingdom, not just Brexit, and not just the European Union, but I believe the world as well. Peggy, imagine how wonderful it would be to wake up in the morning knowing that Donald Trump is president and Nigel Farage is prime minister. Have you thought about that? I actually haven't, but that's an incredible scenario you just painted. And, you know, referencing back to my former boss, um, Ronald Reagan, he always believed that, especially in the U.S., we the people tell the government what to do, not the other way around. And I think we see that same um, influence happening there in the U.K. We see the voters saying, we voted for this. We want this. We don't care how it gets done. We just want it done. And there's this feeling that democracy should not uh, suffer at the hands of incompetence. And that's what they see right now. And so it would not be surprising if they throw everybody else out and put into leadership those who are actually listening to the will of the people. And there's so many parallels, of course, we see between what's happening here in the U.S. and what's happening in the U.K. You know, the loser's consent is not required for the winner to move forward. And uh, we we see that playing out time and time again with so many um, entities trying to undermine the Trump presidency. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the U.K. as well. And the global narrative about Brexit, I see, is being very negative. It portrays it solely as they're leaving something. Um, Mm -hmm. Rather, it wasn't a vote against something. It was actually a vote 
for something. And I think that Nigel Farage does a wonderful job of making it a very positive statement of confidence. The vote of Brexit was a statement of strength, that they believed that the U.K. was ready and able to self-govern. And so they believed in themselves and in their fellow countrymen, and that's why they voted to leave. And so we should highlight that positive narrative, not all the negativity that is currently surrounding the Brexit. I completely agree. And, and you know, I agree as somebody who worked my, my hiney off over the last uh, decade trying to deliver independence uh, for my country. And a lot of uh, Americans, and some Republicans included, in fact, say to me often, well, why would you want to leave the European Union? It's such a wonderful uh, union to be a part of. It's kept the peace in Europe. I mean, all of these nonsensical phrases and arguments that you get uh, from there. And I often say to them, I just turn around and say to them, well, you know, your country was founded on the original Brexit. You know, in 1776, the American people decided that they did not want to be part of a of an imperial power where power is vested um, almost solely in a singular person that nobody gets to elect, that nobody gets to remove. And of course, we've seen now over the course of the last week in the European Parliament, the very same thing going on. They are supposed to elect out of a group of people who is supposed to be the new European Commission president. And guess what, Peggy? Over the course of the last week, we found out there were no candidates but one. And so everybody was asked to just vote on a single candidate. How do you think that went? That single candidate won. And this is what we're talking about, isn't it? This is about the lack of choice. This is the lack of people being able to decide for themselves who governs them. Now, Peggy, tell us what you're doing and what you hope to achieve with these World for Brexit events. Well, we our um, goals are threefold. We're wanting to educate people, and we're wanting to do media, and we're wanting to do research and call people to action to support that. We are hosting events next week with Nigel Farage, um, who will be attending and speaking at these events. Um, although he's not officially part of our organization, he certainly has been a champion for this issue and um, will be a big draw um, to getting people to support World for Brexit. We've got events in D.C. and New York, upcoming internationally, probably in Australia, and hopefully in the U.K. as well. And we're hoping people will go to the website, um, sign up to receive additional information, sign up to donate and contribute to be a friend of the U.K., worldforbrexit.com. You can also follow World, the number four Brexit, on Twitter. And we want people to be informed of what is happening there and add their voice to our friends across the pond in support of democracy there. We would be outraged if this had happened any place else in the world. If all these millions of people had voted for something that was not implemented, we would be crying foul that it was such a breach of democracy, and yet somehow we're turning a blind eye to it happening right there with our friends in the UK, and World for Brexit stands to change that. Your friends, your ancestors, your cousins, we stand side by side with you, and we are so grateful that you stand side by side with us. Peggy Grandy, worldforbrexit.com. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you, Raheem. Well, ladies and gentlemen, of course I had to I had to get a Brexit thing in there. It's been too long 